Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Hey everyone, want to welcome you to the Jew 3 Project podcast where we help believers know what they believe and why. I'm so grateful for you guys that are supporting the ministry. Hope that you're staying, staying safe during this pandemic and this crisis. Uh, Lisa Fields is uh, currently uh, experiencing a loss in her family. And so we ask that you guys would extend any additional prayers and thoughts and encouragement towards her during this time of loss. Uh, I've been tasked to fill in for her during this particular podcast so that you guys can continue to stay equipped in your faith and learn how to defend the faith in a winsome manner. Uh, we have a very special topic that we're going to cover on this podcast uh, that I think is relevant for many apologists and those who are thinking about their faith. Uh, we're going to talk about love as the ultimate apologetic. And the reason that we wanted to discuss this as an organization is because we believe that it's not just merely important for you to present the facts, but also how you present those facts and how you present your faith is also very influential in helping people discover the truth and the treasure of Jesus Christ. And so we want to talk about love as the ultimate apologetic. How can you love people who have differing views? How can you love people who may be experiencing doubts in their faith? And to do that with truth and love is something that is a balancing act that many believers have yet to be able to master. And we have an, an exemplary uh, guest in this manner, in this regard. Uh, we have Brandon Cleaver that's going to be joining us on this podcast. He serves with Ravi uh, Zacharias Inter International Ministries that has for many years now been an example of what it means to present our faith in love and truth. And we thought that it would be relevant in terms of us honoring Ravi Zacharias as there's been a movement uh, hashtag thank you, Ravi, that's been talking about Ravi Zacharias and his uh, just instrumental impact throughout the ages in the field of apologetics and his winsome presentation. And then Brandon Cleaver is an expert in apologetics. He serves with that ministry and he's done some phenomenal things in terms of speaking to apologetics, especially in African-American context. So Brandon, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. Glad to have you on, brother. Oh, thank you, Pastor Trey. So good to, to be here with you and uh, just a, 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 a privilege and a blessing to be on the podcast in general. I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, about us just continuing to pray for our dear sister, Lisa Fields, and her family and the tragedy that they recently experienced. Thank you for that, brother. Um, for those who may be new to you, um, just tell us something uh, about how you're serving in this capacity and then uh, briefly introduce you, yourself, your faith, your family, anything that you think might be relevant. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Um, I, uh, like you said, I'm an itinerant speaker with the, with the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. I, I actually just celebrated my one year anniversary on uh, April 1st. So I still feel like I'm sort of the new kid on the block. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. But you know, I've I've uh, been blessed to have uh, relationships with many of the speakers, so it's they felt like family for a number of years, and uh, so I'm just glad to be a part of the ministry uh, as well in a more formal capacity. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I went to school uh, for my bachelor's degree in journalism uh, back at Michigan State University, and I grew up. Um, I was going to church, but I didn't really go up in a, a Christian family per se. Uh, we would go to church. We were sort of the Easter and Christmas uh, family. Yeah. And so in, in between there, I would go to church with my uh, cousin and his family for the most part. And so uh, for me, throughout my bachelor's degree at Michigan State, I always believed that God existed. Mm. Uh, so I never questioned that aspect of it, but I never had that grounding of, is this actually, is this actually true? 
Christianity was what I was used to because it was what I heard most about. And so during that time, I wouldn't say I fell away from the faith, but I was kind of just doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, like uh, many people do uh, in college, after college, and I'll, I'll sort of give you the, the Cliff Notes version here, but mm -hmm. after college, I, um, I went through a particularly difficult time in my life where I was spiritually, emotionally, physically just depleted. Mm -hmm. And one day I was actually just taking a shower and I turned on the radio back when we used to, you know, use the physical radios all the right. time. What's that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Showing my age a little bit here. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I just happened to turn on the radio and this sermon came on. And this sermon was entitled The Cup, and it was by the late pastor Adrian Rogers. You can actually go on YouTube and find it, uh, of, of Love Worth Finding Ministries down in Texas. And this, this sermon had to do with the Garden of Gethsemane story and Luke. And I'd heard this story like many others many times and, and never had any particular relevancy to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but this time, I think the way that Pastor Rogers sort of meticulously described the sins that was in that proverbial cup mm -hmm. that Jesus reluctantly took on on our behalf. I mean, all I can say is it hit me like like never before. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'd had friends and, and uh, uh, acquaintances who said they've had experiences with the Holy Spirit. And I was always a little leery of it. I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's cool, whatever. But all I can say is I probably had an experience of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like when I was in that shower, I was literally pushed down to my knees and I just started crying like mm. crazy uh, to the point where um, uh, the water got cold. And I don't remember a lot what I was saying to God, but I do remember the la the very last thing that I said to him was that I've been doing things my own way for a long time. Please take hold of my life and do with it what you will. Wow. You know? And the interesting thing is that yeah, God will take your prayers seriously <laughs> sometimes. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was studying to go back to school to get an MBA, mm -hmm. a business degree. Mm -hmm. And then um, through just a number of circ circumstances and really people speaking into my life in, in ways that I didn't see, but saw the manifestation of it years later, um, he just took me on this trajectory of, of apologetics and really taking the Bible and evangelism seriously. Um, so uh yeah so that's that's sort of the that that part of the story mm. and so i'm blessed uh to have a wife uh three children uh brayden bryson and braylin nice. uh, you see you see a little bit of a, of yeah. a, a similarity there <laughs> i got the alliteration going you're a preacher that's right that's right <laughs> um yeah i enjoy uh playing basketball you know with all the social distancing and everything like that mm. It's killing me right. not getting out there on the court with some of my good friends, um, playing basketball, reading, writing, tennis, all sorts of things. So this is a little bit about me, and, uh, specifically about the ministry, though, my work in the ministry. Um, so just like many other apologists at RZIM, we do tackle uh, the general apologetics issues like morality, different mm -hmm. things about ethics and worldviews, the resurrection, the, the truthfulness. Uh, the historical reliability of Jesus Christ mm. and those types of things. But, you know, coming from a African-American background, a primarily African-American city in Detroit, Michigan, mm. um, and just a lot of my experiences, I do have a special heart towards many of the uh, unique concerns that arise from the African-American uh, community and, and experience. Mm. So that's sort of my uh, role in the, in the ministry. I love it. Yes. I love it. I encourage our uh, listeners, our viewers, um, look up Brandon Cleaver and RZIM. Uh, I'm already encouraged by some of the material that you guys are producing, uh, especially the content that you have about slavery in the Bible. I think it's very important. I uh, would encourage our people to engage in that, study it, share it. Um, it's very helpful. Um, and I ex just appreciate you sharing your experience and your faith. Uh, one thing that I think is important as we talk about our faith, that this is not something that is uh, merely intellectual. Um, it's also something that's heartfelt, something that we've experienced. We have a living relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think that really connects with us talking about love as the ultimate apologetic. Um, as we talk about a backdrop of apologetics, um, one of the temptations is for us to merely be uh, intellectual in our pursuits. And sometimes when we're intellectual in our pursuits or even our presentation, uh, we can become anemic. 
We can become trite. Uh, we can become very cliche. Um, at the worst, we've seen apologists or apologetics be um, demeaning, um, inarticulate, and representing other people's beliefs, and uh, not very persuasive, even if we are accurate. Uh, with RZIM and then also with your influence, um, I thought it was great to have you guys on. Uh, Lisa recommended reaching out to you guys. Um, and as we talk about love as the ultimate, ultimate apologetic, I want to kind of kick off with this question. Uh, why do you think the discipline of apologetics um, is really uh, ripe with all kinds of temptations for us to be loveless in our engagement? Yeah, thanks, Pastor. And, you know, all, everything you said, I give a hearty, hearty amen to. <laughs> I was going to hear you going on there. So, um, yeah, so, you know, for a second, I want to back up and sort of describe apologetics a little bit because I think there's a general definition that some people have. And myself and I think a lot of folks at RZIM, uh, we take sort of a different approach. So generally speaking, I would say the the basic definition of apologetics is the defense of the Christian worldview or Christian faith. And it's derived from several Bible verses. Uh, we're on the Jude 3 podcast. So Jude 3, of course, talks about right. contending for the faith. You have uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. You have, uh, and, and I would say probably the main verse that this comes from is 1 Peter 3, 15, which mm -hmm. exhorts us to sanctify Christ as holy or set apart Christ as holy in our hearts, always mm -hmm. being ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us, but to mm -hmm. do it with gentleness and kindness. So and there's some Greek words in there that that help to formulate that basic definition of apologetics. So I think that generally speaking, that's what people consider apologetics to be. Now, I would say, though, that. Speaking for myself and for RZIM, that apologetics and evangelism is actually inextricably woven together. Mm. So one without the other can lead to some disastrous uh, uh, results. So I would actually add in that definition that it's the communication and demonstration of the good news of, of Jesus Christ. Um, and that word demonstration is so important because uh, implicit in that mm -hmm. is both word and deed. So, word and deed. So you're demonstrating the uh, you're demonstrating the the truthfulness, the validity uh, uh, of Jesus Christ in the Christian worldview, not only through your words, but also through what your your actions, through what you're actually uh, doing. So if I can take that basic definition and then apply the evangelism portion of it, I would actually say that apologetics is the defense, communication, and demonstration of the good news of Jesus Christ and the Christian uh, worldview. Now to get to your your question though about how can it, how how does it get to the point where it, it sort of tempts uh, practitioners with with loveless engagement? I think it kind of gets back to what I was saying that apologetics sort of left its own devices totally devoid of evangelism uh, can really hit at that 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 sin of pride. I think mm. let's be real. We all want to win. We want to be victorious. Right. Yeah. I don't know about you. I'm a big sports fan, big sports fan. I can't wait until the last two episodes of the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary come Amen. on this Sunday. <laughs> so I'm counting down the hours and the days. And one thing that you see in this documentary is that, man, no matter what, Michael Jordan wanted to win at all costs. Mm. Sometimes that meant berating his own teammates because he thought it was a method to the madness. Mm. Uh, sometimes that meant uh, uh, maybe being away from family for an extended time. Mm. But his focus, his target was winning at no at, at all costs. Mm. And I think that that's a sort of a natural a human inclination uh, to win. But I think that if you're looking, if you're looking at the wrong goal, then you'll never hit the right target. Mm -hmm. And so while the goal is often to win, your target should actually be the person. Mm -hmm. And that's where the evangelism sort of part comes in. That's why it's so important to have these two together. See, when the person isn't being, isn't being engaged uh, personally, mm -hmm. then the engagement itself becomes loveless mm -hmm. and it becomes fruitless and, and futile. Uh, so that's why I think that when we need to, when we talk about apologetics, when we engage in apologetics, we need to always be focused on the person. We need to be thinking about apologetics and evangelism. It doesn't mean that in every encounter we have that we're going to give the the full gospel, the full goodness yep. of Jesus Christ, every 
encounter doesn't allow for that level or that depth of conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but if we're always thinking about the person behind these questions and things like that, then I think that'll help to inform the way which we, uh, mm -hmm. our, our methodology of apologetics. That's great. That is huge. And that's a frequent reminder. I think we always need our inclination is to go for the win, go for the kill a lot of times to just um, be right. Um, yeah. But, you know, and you quote in that verse, I think sometimes even apologetic ministries gloss over First Peter 3.15, that the defense of the faith has to have the wings of gentleness and respect. Yes. And the moment you lose those particular wings, you're you're heading for a crash landing. Um, yeah. So I think that's phenomenal. Now, I want to ask, how can apologists strike that balance, you know, uh, between this idea of grace and truth? What's the proper balance here? Because sometimes... You know, you're, you're diving into difficult conversations and uh, really sincere disagreements, yes. serious disagreements, and you want to speak the truth. And I feel like sometimes we err on the polarizations of those to love people and pat them on the back all the way to um, their disagreements and consequences of those uh, decisions and worldviews. On the other hand, we give the truth so bluntly, nobody even is, is listening. How does an apologist uh, strive for that balance if it's if it's possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. And I think that's an important point that you, you bring up, uh, Pastor Triggs, there is that we should be cognizant of not having this improper balance between uh, grace, again, kind of focusing on the person and truth, more focusing on uh, the arguments or, or the information itself. So let's let's talk about grace and truth for a second. So if you're if you're if you're engaging someone with grace, that means that you're often if you're if you're engaging someone if you're subordinating truth, okay, mm -hmm. to an extent which you're where you're putting grace on such an incredible hierarchy, then what that means is that you're often placating uh, to whatever may may contradict that person's worldview, mm -hmm. and this is often rooted in this in a desire not to offend someone. And I understand that, like we we should care about not being unnecessarily offensive, but that shouldn't be the driving force. We should again have that in the back of our minds and the way that we present, like you said, with first Peter 315, uh, it, it talks about at the very end, you to do these things, but with gentleness and respect. Mm -hmm. So there is a way in which we can go about delivering uh, the truth. So in this case, when truth is subordinated in a mighty way to grace, the pertinent information is sacrificed mm -hmm. in favor of the in individual. Okay, the pertinent inf information is sacrificed in favor of the individual. Now, conversely, though, when when you're subordinating grace in such a way that truth is is on the hierarchy, then in, in that type of engagement, then the individual is sacrificed for the information. Mm. And so that's why I mentioned um, like the verse Colossians chapter four, verse six, which says that let it, let our speech, let your speech be seasoned with salt um, so that you're always ready to give an answer um, to each question. Actually, no, it doesn't say to each question. It says to each person. And that's the whole that's the whole point about it. So let your speech always be gracious, seasoned, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If you have both the information and the individual in your mind, then that will help as um, you know, our founder, Ravi Zacharias, always mentions when, when when you're engaging in apologetics, you want to try and build this connection or this bridge between the head and the heart. Mm -hmm. And so that's this concept of, of grace and truth. And really, really, apologetics is sort of a holistic uh, enterprise, mm -hmm. you know, when, when, we, when you think about it. Again, we can't affect someone's soul. That's up to God. Mm -hmm. But God often uses us to supply the information and to su supply it in a certain way. So mm -hmm. we can, to a certain degree, affect the, the, the head and the heart. And then we hope that through uh, God using our efforts, that perhaps there's some soul change to this individual and there's some transformation in, in, in their life and in their actions, mm -hmm. uh, the way that they love God and the way that they love uh, one another. Uh, so it is a holistic enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so being cognizant of, of grace and truth and striking that proper balance is vitally important. Let me let me throw you a curveball. This is just I want you to riff on it. 
Yeah. For those, because I think a lot of people who gravitate towards apologetics are often very analytical. Um, mm -hmm. People who want to be well read, almost, you know, kind of very logical. Um, how does a person analyze it? You know, I'm just playing devil's advocate here for lack of better terms. Maybe they're not good in the personal aspect or thinking about that person or that individual. What are some things or even tactics that they can consider to put a little bit more emphasis on who that person is? And you can be as basic or, um, you know, elaborate as you want to. But just for that person who's maybe making that first step or is repenting, realizing they kind of, you know, have badgered people and bullied people. How do we consider the individual even more? Yeah, I think that's so important because I think that speaks somewhat to my story. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I first got into apologetics, that's, you know, like many others, I'm like, man, I, I didn't I didn't realize the robustness of many of the arguments for Christianity, mm -hmm. the historical uh, relevancy of Christianity, the arc, the archaeology, archaeology, um, the, the evidence from archaeology for mm -hmm. Christianity. So when I when I found out that there was all this information, yeah. I'm like, wow, how could anyone deny, <laughs> you know, Christianity? So the first thing I wanted to do was go out and argue with everybody. You know, let me let me talk to my, you know, not not in a badgering way, but still let me deconstruct this 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 uh, argument from this atheist. Or let me show you why this God of this religion is, is incoherent and therefore uh, it makes no sense. But let me then show you the. Uh, the validity of the Christian God. Um, my focus, again, my my target was the arguments, and um, and that was pretty. So 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 when I encountered someone like Ravi Zacharias, it really changed my mm -hmm. my method of going about things. I think though, for the person who is is someone who is more steep on the intellectual side, and that there's a lot of people like that. There's some apologists, in fact, who are more about the information. The beautiful thing about, I think, the way that God has created us is that he's created us all different. Some people tend toward more of the emotional side. Some people tend toward more of that informational. Some people come together. I think, though, is part of it is personal reflection. We have to look at ourselves and, 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 and analyze, critique ourselves to a certain degree and say, if this is somewhere that I'm lacking, then perhaps I need to go to someone, listen to someone who's more apt to provide a way uh, to help me in that area. I'll give you an example uh, from, from, from my personal life. I've always disliked science and history growing up. Always had. I'm a liberal arts guy. I'm a yeah. writer. So reading and all those things, I loved all those things. Uh, but science and history was just not my thing growing up. Uh, I've I've grown to have a love for history now. Science, I still struggle with yeah, <laughs> my yeah. level there. Um, but I know that as an apologist and as an evangelist, um, that there's a lot of people who have questions and concerns and contentions that that stem from a a, a scientific uh, uh, standpoint. And I need to have some type of understanding to engage them at that level. Mm -hmm. uh, so I I recognize a weakness. Um, one that I'm not super eager, uh, it's that I'm not super eager to always scratch, but it's a necessary one to make myself um, more, to be a, a better steward to God and be even more uh, able to be used with him in, in many different circumstances. So I think recognizing where you may fall short or where you just may not have an, a certain interest or may be lacking and then seeing where someone else is and learning from them and maybe trying to adopt some of their strategies is helpful. I love that. I love that. Now, as we talk about um, this presentation of the faith, it's uh, taking into account gentleness and respect, uh, speaking grace and truth, and then also uh, love as the ultimate apologetic. Um, go ahead and drive the nail in the coffin for us. Why do you think love is such an effective apologetic uh, for those who are not believers? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's interesting. So Friedrich Nietzsche, the, uh, the German philosopher, he says something that I think, and he's not, he's not a theist, doesn't believe mm -hmm. in God. He says something that I think is so powerful. He says that there's something so ambiguous and, and suggestive about the word love that even 
even the, the lowest intelligence or the person with the coldest of heart still feel a glimmer of this word. Mm. That's powerful coming from yeah. the ideas speaking to the profundity of, of this word of, uh, of love or this virtue of love. And I think that love has this universal appeal because it's a universal need. So everyone desires or craves love in, in some way, shape, form, or desire, right? We, we, we all do. But oftentimes the problem is that we go to seek to fulfill that desire or that craving in, in destructive ways. You know, as the saying goes, you know, looking for love in, in all the wrong places. Um, and that's why I think that the, the Christian message is, is so important because, for instance, in John, it says three, one brief statement, but three powerful words. God is love. God is love. Mm. Now, what does that mean? I actually had a young lady email me and we had some conversation about this over the last maybe maybe about five or six months ago. Because I think there's often some misunderstandings of what this means. She, like many others, thought that this means, well, God does loving things. He he performs loving acts. He's he's caring and compassionate and kind. And we see this uh, uh, spoken about, about one of his about many of his attributes throughout the Bible. And while those things are true. That's not what John is getting at here. John is saying, literally, God is love. Mm-hmm. Like his very nature is love. So how we come to know and embrace love all flows from who he is, from his essence. Mm-hmm. And then we see this played out even further in, in Jesus Christ. In fact, there's one verse that says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. So when we come to understand that the ultimate source of love is God, that he loved you before mm-hmm. you loved him, making his love for us unconditional, then this is where we should be going to seek to find and embrace true love. The interesting thing I think about Christianity, and Ravi has talked about this, is that you can go to all these other religions, okay? They offer philosophical arguments. They offer moral uh, 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 ways of going about things. Mm-hmm. Christianity offers those things as well. But the main thing that Christianity offers is a person. Mm-hmm. And, and all of these philosophical ideas, all these ideas of morality, of do and don't, and how we should treat our neighbor and things like that, all of these things converge in one person who exemplifies and is the, is the living embodiment of what you spoke about earlier, grace and truth, mm-hmm. and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So mm-hmm. he's who we should look at. Oh, and and I think that that's why there's such an appeal of, of love as as love being a powerful apologetic mm-hmm. because it's a universal need and it's a, a universal appeal. Well, that's good news. <laughs> really good news. Um, for the people who are out there who are listening, who are saying, you know, maybe asking this question as we engage a lot of times trying to do gentleness and respect and trying to um, preach the gospel and love our neighbors. Um, a lot of times, especially in our culture in American context, um, there are people who are hostile to the faith. Um, there are sometimes people who are less than respectful and gentle in return. And, uh, this is another balancing act. And I wanted to ask you, you know, for people who are hostile, um, how do we engage that as believers? Um, and then how do we also make an analysis of when we be silent and when do we speak? Um, and how do we ultimately engage with those who have not just deep disagreements, but also are, are fairly, uh, fairly hostile to, towards our beliefs? Yeah, that's a, a, a great question. I would say absolutely. You know, we need to engage those who are even hostile to the faith. Um, I mean, one of the greatest defenders of the faith, the New Testament writer, Paul, I mean, he was a living embodiment of hostility to the faith right. Right. before his uh, incredible uh, conversion and transformation. Uh, in his life. Uh, I think that part of it we have to remember, and I, I mentioned this earlier, but God changes hearts, mm. not us. So some of the pressure that we often feel in these evangelistic or apologetic encounters mm. can be, I think, tempered by remembering that, that God is using you, but ultimately he is the person who will uh, uh, engage in the, in the transformation of the heart and, and, of, the, and of the soul. I think we also have to remember to not let others dictate our disposition. Okay, so we talked about 
Colossians 4, 6, having your 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 uh, your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. We mm -hmm. talked about 1 Peter 3, 15, always delivering this information or the truthfulness and with gentleness and respect. So these are the pillars that help to form the foundation for our mm -hmm. verbal engagement with others. Mm -hmm. And those pillars shouldn't be knocked down just because someone else is, is coming in uh, with a, a, a windstorm of, of, of arguments or contentions or questions or, or whatever uh, the case might might be. You know, we can be confident and not crass. We can be persuasive and, and not prideful in our in our engagements. Also, too, and I guess this, again, goes back to what I said earlier. I think some of it does depend on our own personality. God made us different. So there's going to be a different engagement if you're engaging with the black Hebrew Israelites mm -hmm. or the Mormons. Mm -hmm. There might be a different engagement if you're in engaging it with uh, Islam mm -hmm. and Je Jehovah Witnesses. Mm -hmm. So some people have the personality, the temperament, uh, really the expertise to know how to engage those who sometimes are more assertive or really aggressive mm -hmm. uh, in their and their uh, frustrations or their contentions with the Chris Christian faith. Hmm. And that's not that's not a cop out. OK, that's not right. saying, well, if, if it's difficult to run, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that uh, some people's personalities are more built towards that. Hmm. But I like what Blaise Pascal said. He said that he said, make religion attractive, make good men wish it were true and then show them that hmm. it is actually true. Hmm. And I think that if we remember those, I think, wise words, hmm. even in hostility, there's a reason that this person is hostile. Again, mm -hmm. it's this focus. I know I'm harping on it, but it's this focus on the person. Right. Behind this hostility, there's trauma, there's mm -hmm. frustration, there's mm -hmm. anger, there's sadness, there's there's experiences that help to often form this hostility. So if we're really listening and engaging with the person, we need to try and focus on the person and what is really at the heart of their hostility. Sometimes, many actually many times, more often than not, the questions are only a mirage or, 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 or masquerading for what the real issues are. Mm -hmm. um, so again, whatever their hostilities are, whatever may be forming the grounding for those, whatever their disenchantment is with Christianity, what are some ways that we can make it attractive to them? What's some ways that's going to appeal to them and then take those things and actually show them, man, these things are actually true. This is coherent. Christianity offers this comprehensive life, uh, um, comprehensive understanding of life that mm -hmm. corresponds to all areas of our life. It speaks to our intellectual, our biggest intellectual concerns, but also our deepest existential crises. Mm. So when you when you have that uh, as your foundation, I think that that's helpful um, in, in engaging with people. And, but then also, I think you spoke about when to be silent and when to yeah when, when to speak. Um, this is also kind of tough, <laughs> and it it requires some discernment that uh, you know I'm I'm still learning. I, yeah. So I joke with some of my, with some folks I know. I had a um, I was at a college late last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I had about a three and a half hour conversation with these two gentlemen that didn't believe that oh, it's a long story, but they didn't believe that truth was real. And there's there's all types of incoherencies, even even in that statement. Okay, yeah. So I won't go through all those right now, but we were just circling the wagons. OK, yeah. uh, and I got mixed up in it and I, I shouldn't have. I, I should have yeah. cut it off at some point. But I think you have to get to the point where you say, OK, is this person actually interested in truth? Mm. Are they interested in debate, right? Conversation. Mm. Um, so I think that one question, <clears throat> one question that we can ask to help filter this out and to help us in our discernment is just say, hey, if let's assume for a second, if Christianity is true, would you become a Christian? Mm. Depending upon their answer, that's going to suggest that either yes, this person is interested in the truth. And they must they, they might just not agree with you or this person really isn't interested in the truth mm -hmm. and they just want to debate or argue or whatever the case may be. And that may be a time where you step away from the conversation, uh, maybe come back at another time or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a, one thing that might help with our uh, level of discernment. 
That is that is great. One thing I think that's helpful to maybe encourage our viewers as we uh, elaborate on that is just um, don't handicap the Trinity and apologetics. I think sometimes we do that. We spend a lot of discussion uh, talking about the Father and Jesus, the Son, um, but we don't really surrender our agenda or our rhetoric to the Holy Spirit. Um, I know that's very subjective and existential, but uh, I just encourage our viewers, you know, how active is the Holy Spirit in your ministry of apologetics? How active do you surrender to him? Are you praying for the fruit of the Holy Spirit um, to be manifested in your presentation of patience and loving and kindness and all these particular things? And a lot of times, as you said, sometimes the Holy Spirit uh, just lets you know you've, you've said enough. You need to rest the case and allow me to do the work. Uh, I think William Lane Craig says we're responsible to show uh, the Holy Spirit is responsible to help somebody know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a helpful way for us to think about it. Um, one powerful example of this, as we've been alluding to a couple of times already, is uh, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, who you know and been serving with alongside. Um, I want to ask you kind of for your thank you, Ravi moment. Um, and and it may, maybe it connects to this. It doesn't necessarily have to. But how has his winsome presentation of apologetics uh, impacted you? Well, like I, I mentioned a little bit earlier how he has when I first got into apologetics, he had, um, I, well, when I first got into apologetics, I was more interested in the argument and deconstructing other, other folks' arguments. That, that, that was interesting to me. Um, and so I guess when I encountered Ravi, he really showed me that, yes, these arguments have some real power to them. But um, if I can use a, a, a comic book reference here, I think Uncle Ben told Spider-Man, uh, with great, great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my, my oldest son will be proud of that. I remember, 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 uh, memorize that. <laughs> um, but there is truth in that. Um, and that responsibility comes in the fact that we are representatives of Jesus Christ. We're literally called by Paul ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And, you know, when I think about an ambassador, up here in Detroit, we have the this auto show that people come from around the nation to see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I used to, before uh, joining RZIM, I worked for Ford Motor Company as a software engineer. And so I'll use Ford as an example. If I think of an ambassador of Ford and I go to this auto show, I mean, they're from, from head to toe, they have the Ford gear on, mm -hmm. they speak the Ford lingo, they know about other uh, motor companies so that they can show uh, why Ford is better and all these mm -hmm. types of things. And this may not be a perfect parallel or perfect uh, metaphor, but that's sort of what I think about of Christianity. We're ambassadors for Christ. So our, the way we act, the, the way we uh, speak towards one another and to others, uh, how we dress, all these types of things sort of speak to uh, what we believe. Mm. And so uh, he really taught me, I think, that in everything that we do, that we are ambassadors of Christ. Uh, Ravi has had, I think, 40, 40 plus years of mm -hmm. ministry, and mm -hmm. he's maintained incredible integrity throughout mm -hmm. 40 years. Mm -hmm. That is astounding. Yeah. So you see, not only in his incredible messages, this mm -hmm. focus on the person, but he actually knows that, listen, my message will have no relevancy at all mm -hmm. if you see an incoherence in the way that I'm acting in, in my life. It reminds me of, you know, one of the most, one of the most um, profound and prolific writers in American history. I was going to say Af African-American history, but I, I think that that uh, puts him in a box. In, in American history is James Baldwin. Mm. And he wrote a lot about the, uh, in the mid to late 20th century, about uh, the African-Americans experience, particularly in the United States. Mm -hmm. One thing that he said was, I, I didn't belong to any uh, Christian congregation uh, because they had not heard the words uh, love your neighbor. Mm. So, you know, now did he actually mean that the Christians hadn't heard that? Of course not. That's right. not what he meant. But I think what he was getting at is this idea where we parse the difference between listening and mm -hmm. hearing. You mm -hmm. know, I might say, you know, Pastor, Pastor Trace, did you, I know you, I know you're listening, but did you actually hear me? Like, right. were you engaging? Did you receive what I had to say? Mm -hmm. And so that level of seeing this incoherence between the, the message and the messenger led to disenchantment uh, for him. 
And mm. so the connection between the head and the heart was sever severed for James Baldwin. And so no amount of philosophical arguments was mm. going to was going to uh, um, make him believe that Christianity was true. Mm. So for for Ravi, when we see this coherence between the message and the messenger, mm. between how you interact with somebody. Listen, I've had personal encounters with him before I joined RZIM. Mm -hmm. As you know, Ravi goes anywhere and he gets uh, uh, tens, dozens, hundreds of people clamoring for his attention mm -hmm. in one room. And if, if, if someone is watching this or someone is listening to this and they've ever encountered Ravi, you know that even in these circumstances where you have this great amount of people begging, sort of not, not begging, but clamoring again for his attention, mm -hmm. but even in those instances, he makes you feel like you're the only person in that room mm -hmm. uh, with him. Um, so I, I think that that's how he's he's really uh, affected affected me and just helping me really to focus on personal integrity and also the person with which you're engaging. Mm, that is huge. And I would say I echo that all my engagements and experiences uh, with his public ministry. I remember one of my um, experiences from afar was a pastor's conference I went to mm. uh, at Brooklyn Tabernacle, and uh, he preached on uh, marching to the beat of a different drum drummer. Yes, yes. And spoke on the the life of Daniel and was talking about um, spiritual compromise and integrity and had pastors stand up and pray for them. Uh, it was just a, a moment I still remember in pastoral ministry um, and had the opportunity to meet him in person at a, a speaker's luncheon and uh, at First Baptist Jack's uh, was very just humble, paid attention down to earth. And again, sharing stories of him uh, sharing the faith. Um, overseas, hostile, hostile territory mm -hmm. of people that he was praying for and that he had the opportunity to, to, to share the gospel that a lot of people would probably vilify um, mm -hmm. in our in our culture. But yet Ravi in his itinerant ministry was still trying to show them that the ultimate bridge is Jesus Christ. And I just yeah. I'm thankful for his legacy, thankful for his ministry that continues um, even to this point. I want to ask you one last question. Ravi. Dr. Zacharias has had um, a very um, prestigious career in apologetics um, and it has lasted throughout the decades, uh, which really makes this um, even more of a, a asterisk in terms of the listing of apologists that we can think of. His ministry has lasted throughout many decades. Why do you think his uh, ministry has been so persuasive throughout the time and then even more so, it seems like, uh, during this current day and age. Yeah, <laughs> it is amazing. I mean, decades, decades, decades. Mm -hmm. that, is, that, that, that shows some real uh, dedication and, and fortitude. I'm mm -hmm. sure he's had many challenges um, along that road. He's probably had many sleepless nights. Mm -hmm. uh, many, as, many know, as many people know, if, if you've heard his stories, he... Uh, went through surgery many, many years ago and he has rods in his back. So, I mean, you know, I'm in my late thirties and if I'm on stage, you know, talking for a while, <laughs> my back starts to get sore. Yeah. So I could imagine uh, the, just the uh, the vitality that he's had for so, so many decades is, is really, uh, really uh, incredible. Um, I think that, you know, one thing I said already about just Part of what has made his ministry go on for so long and his presentation be so persuasive, again, is this fact that you see not only in through you hear in his messages, but you see in his personal interactions, you experience it. You can go online now, like you mentioned, the hashtag thank you, Ravi, that a lot of people are doing. We're literally getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of testimonies from people all around the world, all around the world of encounters they've had. Uh, with Ravi and how impactful they have been. So the fact, that, again, that he makes you feel like you're the only person in the room with him shows how much he loves and cares about the people who God has created, who God has called his image bearers. Mm -hmm. I think that can be a, a model for interaction for us. You know, there's the British evangelist, uh, Rodney, I think his name is Rodney Gypsy Smith. He said that there's five gospels. 
there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the fifth one is you. Mm. Most people won't read the first four, but they will read that fifth one. Mm. And so a lot of times people are going to test the validity of Christianity by the actions or inactions mm. of Christians. So what? how am I coming alongside my neighbor to help them? Uh, not not just showing, remember when I talked about demonstration, not only being in word, but also in deed. Yeah, I can talk about all of the philosophical underpinnings of the Trinity and all these things are very important. But also, how am I physically coming alongside to help my neighbor, especially in a pandemic, a global pandemic? Yeah. How can I still be, although there's a lot of uh, fears and things like that, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, how can I live out of my love and not out of my fear? Mm -hmm. uh, and a colleague, Nathan Betts, he wrote an incredible article about this. But I think those are the type of things that the Ravi has exemplified. I mean, even we put out a message the other day on social media um, where Ravi is really still um, extolling us all mm -hmm. to continue to spread the gospel, mm -hmm. uh, to, to talk to people um, about Jesus. And then particularly in a time like this, you know, the original call to the Israelites was to be a light to the nations. Mm. And although uh, we've gone, time has passed, obviously, thousands of years since then, that original call has not changed at all. We're still called to be a light to the nations. Again, particularly in a, a time like this, where yeah. we don't have this, this regional lament or this national lament. We literally have a global lament going on. So the world is on literally on the, the proverbial edge of its seat wanting uh, um, hope. They're wanting truth. They're wanting answers. And the question is, as Christians, how our presentation can be most persuasive in a time like this. You know, we can be a light to the nations. You know, you talk, talk about the world being in darkness. Mm. Um, light, of course, casts out darkness. So people are wanting and people are needing a light to shine not only on them, but also around them. And this is where I think it's up to the church to show that love is the ultimate apologetic, is the ultimate defense of the Christian faith by coming alongside, talking to people about Christianity, of course, but also doing things to help them, seeing how we can, can come alongside them. And also, if I can speak just to the church for just a quick second, the Bible says very specifically, you want to know how to attract people? He said, they will know you by the way that a love that you have for one another. So there's a lot of division within the church. We've seen this even in how some people react to the tragic uh, murder of, uh, of the young man, Arbery, uh, recently, Amar Arbery. Um, so how can we come alongside each other, love one another, show unity, even in the midst of diversity, and, and be the ultimate example uh, for the faith. I think we have an incredible opportunity during this time. I just hope and pray that as Christians, we take it seriously. Mm. Thank you for that uh, encouragement yeah. and admonishment. I think this is a, a pivotal time for the church to shine and, and the church to be the church um, as we were called to be. Thank you for that, brother. Um, I want to give uh, opportunity for people to Continue to follow your ministry. If there's anything that you're working on, anywhere that you post your work, social media outlets, how can people stay in contact with you and specifically your ministry? Yeah, thank you. Um, you can go on to rzim.org. Um, you can find a whole host of information there. We have various podcasts and things like that. You can go to the speaker page. I think it's just rzim.org backslash Brandon Cleaver, and you'll see uh, some of my articles, some of the, uh, I did a four part series for Black History Month, nice. really looking at actually Lisa Fields, she, she joined me for, for one. So that was very, that was fun to have her. Um, where we talked about where Black history, faith and culture kind of mixed together. Um, so I, I tackled a few things there. Um, as far as on social media, Facebook, you can just look me up at Brandon W. Cleaver. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So you can follow me any of those places. You can email me at brandon.cleaver at rzim.org. Uh, with the global pandemic going on, you know everything is is pretty 
uh, virtual right, right now. So if you follow me on any of those, particularly Facebook, I'll be posting uh, some of the talks and things like that I have coming up on, on there as well. So. That's phenomenal. Well, brother, I just want you to know, sincerely grateful for the work that you're doing there. Uh, looking forward to more work um, as you continue to um, publish and write more and speak more. Thank you so much for your gift. Thankful for God's grace in your life. Uh, we're praying for you here at Jew3 Project and hope to collaborate more in the future. Uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us and would ask that you guys share this comment. If there was something that was helpful, if you have a question, drop it in the comment section, spread this uh, so that many people can hear this as possible. Also, if you want to continue to support the work here at Jew3 Project, you can do that online at Jew3Project.com. Your generosity helps us to continue to help people know what they believe and why. And thank you for those that have already been generous and partner with us in ministry. Also, if you're looking for further study, we have the Jew3 Project curriculum that's available on our website, also available on Amazon. It is a comprehensive way for you to think about uh, defending the faith. And it talks about even this topic, how to have a love as the ultimate apologetic and be somebody who is defending the faith with gentleness and respect. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope that you join us for our next podcast. Until then, we want to say God keep bless you and keep you during this pandemic and stay safe and stay at home. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching jute 3 project and it'll be right there for you so thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.